Welcome to the fourth episode of Cup of Cubby Blue, your series-by-series check-in for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're an official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And while I hear from a few of our followers on Twitter that you are actually able to download us in your download services now, it does not appear to be universal. So if you cannot find us in your podcast service of choice yet, you can find us on bleedcubbyblue.com. We'll also be blasting out each episode and related content on our Twitter account at Cuppa Cubby Blue. Uh, I'm Sarah Sanchez. I cover the Cubs at bleedcubbyblue.com. And today I am joined by not one, but two people. Hi, I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek. I'm back with you on episode four. <laughs> nice to hear you, Andy. And today we also have Al Yellen with us. Al is the founder and managing editor of Bleed Cubby Blue. How's it going, Al? Hey, uh, Sarah and Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're really excited to do this and to finally have you on the podcast. Um, Today, we're going to go through a couple of things. We're going to take a look back at the Brewers series, what went right, what went wrong. We're going to talk a little bit about the Cubs bats. They've been doing some incredible things uh, we're going to look at game start times. Al has a really interesting article up on BCB about the start times of games. And then we're going to look ahead to the Cubs series against the Reds. They're traveling to Cincinnati uh, as we speak. It is an off day on Monday, May 13th. But let's start with the Brewers. Andy and Al, what went right here for the Cubs against the Brewers? Well, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I would say two words, and they are axe handle. (laughs) Tell me more about the axe handle, Andy. I am intrigued by this. This thing is freaking amazing. I don't know how much of this you guys saw, but Chris Bryant is on fire. And um, probably appropriately enough, he's using a bat with an axe handle. And he just, he looks like he's on another level. A lot of um, talk about... He pretty much came to be after he switched mid-bat to this axe handle bat. And it's crazy, but it, it makes sense. And I'm I'm here for it. He looks amazing right now. Yeah, they were talking about this on MLB Central this morning. And uh, Mark DeRosso was talking about how the axe handle bat allows you to just sort of shift a little bit where your wrist is, gives you a little bit more bat speed. He was talking about it specifically because George Springer from the Astros, who is also playing out of his mind right now, um, also uses an axe handle bat. But this seems to be a trend. Some of our hottest hitters are using axe handle bats. I mean, go ahead, Chris Bryant. Keep on with that axe handle bat. I'm all here for it. Let's have everybody use it. Why don't we? I'm sure there are some reasons other people like to use the bats that they have. Al, you were in the bleachers for some of KB's heroics this weekend. Uh, What did you notice about KB and how he's hitting right now? Well, I mean, I can just uh, disagree with you guys. He's, he's on fire and this is what we all expect from Chris Bryant. You know, those people who were worried about Chris Bryant the last first couple of weeks of the season, you know, small sample size early in the season. uh, Lots of guys can have slumps. It's like the, you know, it's like the whole team started two and seven and everybody's jumping off the ledge. If, you know, a lot of good teams have bad stretches during the season. If, if they had gone two and seven, like in the middle of June, nobody really would have noticed that much because it was the first nine games of the season. Everybody's panicking. Same thing with Chris Bryant he started out slow. Now he's hitting like Chris Bryant. He looks like he's ready to have another MVP type season. Uh, obviously he's healthy whatever was bothering him with his shoulder last year is 100%, and he looks great. 
Yeah, I agree. He looks like he's got a great season in him. He might have a little bit of friendly competition from another Cub for that MVP uh, award this year. And y'all know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Javi Baez. So I don't know if you all saw this article that was on MLB.com today, but they were talking about how Javi Baez has, is going oppo more than any player in the major leagues right now. Uh, which I just thought was incredible. And I've noticed it. If you watch his game, you can see that he's hitting to the opposite field frequently. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting here, and this ties into what we were just talking about with Chris Bryant, is that Chris Bryant and Javi Baez are both in the top five players who have increased their oppo field percentage. So basically, they're just hitting to the opposite field more than they used to, more than just about anybody else in the game. And I think that that is uh, a reason that the Cubs have one of the hottest offenses in baseball right now. Offensively in the NL, it's uh, they are second or tied for first on like every advanced metric. They are tied for first with the Dodgers uh, for Woba. They are the Dodgers are slightly ahead of them in uh, weighted runs created. Plus, they are basically tied in ops. The Dodgers are opsing 800 as a team. The Cubs are opsing 799. And this is a really fun team to watch right now because they are just the bats are on fire and they're using the entire field. Well, and I have a question for you guys, because this is something that um, people that dive deeper into baseball, much like us kind of wonder, but do you think this opposite field hitting to the opposite field? Do you think that is a direct result of the shift or do we think that's just a matter of breaking up where they're hitting to? Well, um, I, I don't know. It's, uh, these guys are obviously trying to use the whole field. That may be a result of the new hitting coach, uh, preaching, you know, you know, hitting to the opposite field. And it's not just guys hitting the right field like Baez and Bryant. We've seen Jason Hayward do a lot of hitting towards left field, uh, opposite field hitting, and that's obviously been part of his improvement. So it may be a combination, maybe a little bit about the shift, but I think a lot of it may have to do with uh, Anthony Aposi, the new uh, batting coach. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that this is a team-wide philosophy. I've noticed it with Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber as well. They have they didn't show up on that leaderboard in that MLB.com article today, but you can just sort of see them uh, trying to use trying to hit for power all over the park, and it's really paid off for the Cubs so far. And I I totally agree with you, Al. Jason Hayward has really benefited from this strategy. He looks like a fundamentally different player offensively than he has the first few seasons of his uh, contract with the Cubs. No question. Um, there's more power, obviously, hitting the opposite field. We don't see uh, as many as those four, three ground outs as we've had the first three years. He's He's been in a little bit of a slump since his great start, but I think overall the numbers are up and they're going to continue to be up. We saw a little bit of that last year when he had a couple months worth of hot hitting. I think we're going to see more of that this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jason Hayward had a nice series against the Brewers. What did we all think about that? Well, I will I will hop on the beginning of the Jason Hayward parade because everyone knows I love Jason Hayward. But there was one um, extremely hard hit ball that stuck out at me that he just had Christian Yelich back on his heels and kind of like um, his life flashed before him. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was uh, yesterday, I believe. And I think it was like 108 um, 
off the bat. It was just a rocket. And Christian Yelich was playing actually probably about a foot or two in front of the warning track, but it was directly above his head. I mean, that's how, how hard he hit it. And it was a laser and that everybody was like, Whoa. I mean, even the, the Sunday night baseball announcers were just like, man, he hit that on the screws. Like there was no doubt on that. And the, the best part about when he is having such good at bats and even like when he's hitting foul balls and everything else is the sound. Like you can just hear that he's making more solid contact and more frequently. Yeah, I agree. He also had that uh, leadoff triple, which I thought was a pretty nice piece of hitting for Jason Hayward. All right. Well, um, some, some. Oh, go ahead, Al. One of the things uh, that uh, Jason Hayward is doing that he wasn't doing quite as much of the first three years with the Cubs, he's drawing a lot of walks. He's already drawn 20 walks. He's on pace to have his highest walk total since his rookie year in 2010. Same thing with his highest on base percentage since then. So the fact that he's being a little more selective, again, maybe attributable to the new hitting coach, uh, may also help him have a better offensive season overall. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something to watch. I know that you keep a close eye on the Cubs' walks over at Bleed Cubby Blue, and when they're walking and they're bringing those runs around to score, they're usually a much more successful team. This has been a hallmark of the team since Joe Madden took over as manager. They're much more patient hitters. Uh, They set a walk team walk record in 2016, which obviously was part of the World Series championship season, why it happened. But uh, they could they actually have a shot at breaking that this year. Oh, wow. That would be interesting. I'm going to have to keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, speaking of somebody who is not walking very many people, I think the pitching, particularly the starting pitching against the Brewers, was outstanding. And can we just talk for a second about John Lester? Because of his if his innings total was qualified right now, he would have the best ERA in the majors and it would not be particularly close. His ERA is currently 1.16 across 38 and two thirds innings. And it's not outperforming his FIP by that much. His FIP would be a uh, 2.72. So that he usually outperforms his FIP a little bit, but that is still an outstanding FIP. John Lester is pitching like an ace. Like we all know he is. Again, this is this is Lester's best season since 2016. In fact, if he keeps this up, it'll be the best season of his career. Um, you know, 35 years old doesn't seem to matter to him. He keeps himself in great shape. He knows how to pitch. He knows how to work the strike zone, and he's doing it to great advantage today. His walk rate is 1.9 per nine innings. That would equal the best walk rate of his career. He's just great. He's just been great. Andy, any thoughts on Lester or any of the other Cubs starters from the Brewer series? Well, I just, I'm kind of, I guess I'm clueless when it comes to this because I really just already thought that, I don't want to say he'd be a shoe-in, but he would definitely be somebody that I would think of as a Hall of Fame type career. And watching him last night battle through the rain and the elements and, you know, this lineup that previous to this series was, you know, extremely hot and one that was picked to to be pretty dominant throughout the season. And he just, he rolled right through him. You know, I mean, he just looked like John Lester of, of old. And I, to me, I, I guess, and you know, it's probably because we watch him season in and season out do what he does, but I had already thought he was going to be a hall of famer and, and listening to the national broadcast last night there, they weren't entirely convinced. So, um, 
you know, I, I think we do anything even remotely special this year and he's got it. He's got to make the hall of fame. He has to, um, you know, two major baseball curses that he's broken and just to be where he's at in his career and still be so dominant. I just, I don't know how this doesn't stick in your mind as somebody that's a hall of famer. Well, the Lester Hall of Fame argument is always an interesting one to me because I think from his overall numbers, like if you just look at his war over his regular seasons, he's kind of a borderline case. But where he really makes the case for me is his postseason record. I've written about this. I've had the pleasure of writing about this a couple of times now when Lester, when I've looked at Lester and his matchups for the postseason. But he has basically pitched an entire additional season in the postseason, and he is one of the most outstanding postseason pitchers in major league baseball history he just gets it done in the postseason and I really think that if he has another season that it that puts him in the top five in Cy Young award voting which it looks like he's on track to do this year obviously it's very early and that could change um and then he shows up again in a postseason I I would agree that that would push him over the edge let me put let me put a little bit of a damper on this not that I don't love John Lester but let's look at Let's look at some of the other things that John has done through his career. He's a five-time All-Star. He's finished in the top 10 at Cy Young only four times. He doesn't have a lot of what they call black ink. He hasn't led the league in too many things. He led the league in winning percentage in 2016. Led the national last year. Not that pitching wins mean that much anymore. He's going to wind up this year with about 2,400 strikeouts. You might get him close to 2,600 if he vests uh, with, the, with, with the Cubs in 2021. Uh, you might get to 2,800 strikeouts. We're looking at maybe 220, 230 wins. Another World Series. Uh, yeah, another World Series would probably be the biggest feather in his cap. That would be four World Series championships. Uh, the, 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 the biggest comp I think you could make to a similar left-handed pitcher who had a lot of postseason success is Andy Pettit. And Andy Pettit's not in the Hall of Fame, although people have made the case for him. Um, yeah, you could make a case for John Lester, but he's going to have to put up more numbers before I would say he's a, he's a slam dunk. All right. Well, oh, go ahead, Andy. No, I was just going to say, and that was something that they mentioned that it, that postseason is definitely what folks look for. And, um, that was something that he was definitely needing to, to have an, a couple good, you know, showings in, in the postseason again, to, to be an absolute shoe. in so that is a valid point. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm all in on, on John Lester right now and what he's doing. So I, I just, I, th- I think it's a, you know, an automatic, but again, it would be really nice if we could just go ahead and win another world series and then, you know, call it game over. <laughs> well, I'm going to be watching to see what John Lester does for the next couple of seasons for sure. And I really hope he can continue this start. The, I mean, it's great for the Cubs, obviously, but it's also great for John and John Lester has one of those awesome stories in major league baseball. I don't want to lose sight of some of the other great pitching performances that we had this weekend, you know, both um, Jose Quintana and uh, Cole Hamels get the other start. Am I right about that? Yes. And Cole Hamels, both they both looked pretty good too. Um, any thoughts about our other starters this weekend? Well, you know, obviously um, Friday uh, when Jose Quintana started, it was Jose Quintana who started Friday. Uh, he threw a decent game. And then, of course, the bullpen put it out of reach. Right. You, you weren't going to win Friday because they didn't score any runs. Uh, but I thought Quintana's start was good enough uh, against a pretty good Brewers offense. Uh, all, all five, all, well, let's say four of the five starters have done a really good job uh recently 
Uh, we can talk about you, Darvish, later if you want. But the other four guys have all been very, very consistent. Yeah, we are absolutely going to talk about you, Darvish, who is going to get a start this weekend, uh, this upcoming week against the Reds. Uh, Andy, what did you think of our other 35-year-old pitcher who's having a great season, Cole Hamels? He pitched on Saturday. Well, I remember that he pitched on Saturday because I remember thinking around inning 13. Is this still the game that Cole Hamels started? <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to look it up because I was like, I'm uncertain if this is still the game. Um, no, he did. He had a, a great game. He had a great performance. I mean, he goes out there and he pitches strikes and um you know, I mean, I, I'm loving these innings where our starters are going out and pitching like five, six, seven pitches and, and getting out of an inning. Like to me, that is a huge win. Like you can have a really huge offensive inning, but to see our pitchers go out there and, and you know, throw that amount of pitches and get three outs. And especially against a lineup like the Brewers, like that to me just totally shifts the momentum in our favor going, you know, going into the at bat. So I love seeing stuff like that. And Cole Hamels definitely had a few of those on, on Saturday. And it was, it was awesome to watch. Yeah. Cole Hamels looked great on Saturday. Speaking of pitchers who looked great on Saturday, no longer a starter, but let's take a minute to talk about Tyler Chatwood, who really is the reason that the Cubs were able to hang around long enough to win that game. And he just looks like a new man out of the bullpen. Andy, you called this. Um, I think I kind of did. I'm think I'm 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 in the market now for a Chatwood jersey because <laughs> I am all in on this dude. I was the first one to say last year that I did not love him. Uh, he needed to probably find a new job in his life because pitching was not it. I take it all back. He looked awesome, and you know what? I I guess when you're high, really high on somebody, you're really high, and when you're really low, you're really low. But this guy, I'm telling you, he is our the answer to our problem right now as far as a closer is concerned i am loving what he is doing what do you think al chatwood yeah closer? i mean you know yeah you know everybody's on tyler chatwood's case and reasonably so for his terrible walk performance last year and you know in spring training he made two starts and didn't look good in the starts but he made 10 relief appearances and didn't walk anybody so you know that kind of gave you an idea that maybe in short bursts you could get him to you know throw strikes and get hitters out he has issued some walks. His walk rate is still high, although it's way down from last year. And in that four-inning stint in the 15-inning game on Saturday, he did walk three, but he didn't give up any hits and struck out seven. So, you know, he was throwing 95-96, mostly throwing strikes and getting outs. And I, I think that that out has got to be a huge confidence builder for him. Well, and yeah, not his- only that... Sorry, sorry. No, Andy, go ahead. No, not only that, but I was going to say my that's a con, that was a concern of mine as well is, you know, just put him in for, you know, a, a typical reliever outing, but he pitched four innings on Saturday. Like to me that was huge that he was still able to do what he was doing consistently. His velocity was still really high, he was still locating and for four innings. I mean, that to me, you know, said a lot and and hopefully, you know, we can use him if we have to in, in situations like that again. Yeah, I agree. I also, his stuff just looks a lot crisper out of the bullpen. I think part of it has to do with he's not trying to hold back. He's not worrying about what's going to happen in later innings. He's throwing the ball harder out of the bullpen than he did as a starter last year, even in a, in uh, Saturday's game where he was pitching a lot of innings and basically had no idea how long that was going to need to go. I think Chatwood has really looked great. And I I would be remiss if we talked about Saturday's game without talking about Wilson Contreras and that absolute blast to walk it off 
Well, you know, maybe I'm the one who can talk about uh, the blast because that's about as close as I'm ever going to get to a walk-off homer. It, it it hit off my friend's hand in the next section over. Oh, my couple, God. A couple other people I know uh, had a chance at it. Uh, a friend of mine who I know did get the ball. Uh, it's about as close as I'll ever get to a walk-off homer. That was uh, that was exciting to see. I'm really happy for him. Uh, you know, that had to be tough catching a 15-inning game in those weather conditions. That's got to be just horrendous. And, um, you know, uh, you know, all power to, to Contreras. And you guys didn't even mention him as a possible uh, MVP of the team so far, but he's got to be right up there with Bryant and Baez. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, he is the only catcher in Major League Baseball right now with 10 home runs and an ops over 1,000. There is exactly one, Wilson Contreras. And not only did he catch 15 innings on Saturday, he came back and caught the entire game on Sunday. So I just think that he deserves a lot of credit for where this team is right now well and he is just a ball of energy like people don't understand the stamina and the endurance that it takes to be a catcher in major league baseball and the kind of shape you have to be in and he was still just all over the place on sunday after having caught 15 innings on saturday i mean to me he just is so much a part the heart of this team as far as, you know, what keeps everybody going and, you know, so positive. And I just love that side of him and to always see him smiling and having a good time with his teammates. Like when he hit that walk off, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but the, the post game, he went out of his way and, you know, somebody was, um, I guess, tweeting about what he was saying to Chatwood, but he was giving Chatwood a lot of credit for that win because um, obviously Wilson knows Chatwood struggles, and and has caught him through them and and then to catch him for four innings on Saturday and know what he put out there and how he was shutting people down and you know it's pretty amazing for someone to hit a walk off and then go find their pitcher and basically give them credit for that win. Oh, totally. And I actually I I screenshotted this and I didn't have a way to show what I was thinking at the time, but there's this great moment where Wilson kind of walks up to Chatwood and points at him like I got you. And I did post that on Twitter, but it reminded me of last year Chatwood's first outing out of the bullpen when he got moved to the bullpen. You know, he had a successful outing. It wasn't great. I think he walked a guy, it, but it wasn't fantastic. You could tell this was like an emotional thing, right? That he had been he had lost his job as a starter. He was pitching out of the pen now. And at the end of that game, Wilson came up and gave him the biggest hug. And it was one of my favorite Wilson moments ever. Uh, And so to see the two of them again celebrating that win on Saturday, just all the feels. Well, having said all that, and we all love Wilson Contreras and he's done a great job. uh, I think it, it, uh, the team's got to get Victor Caratini back pretty soon because you know, Taylor Davis's grand slam, notwithstanding, he's really not the kind of guy who's a, a long-term major league backup catcher. We love Taylor Davis. He's a cool guy. He'll probably be a coach in the organization for a long time after he retires from, from playing baseball. But the Cubs need Victor Caratini back to give uh, to give Wilson a day off maybe once a week. I totally agree with that. And Victor Caratini was hitting the ball pretty well before he got hurt. So hopefully that'll keep their bats hot. Um, we're going to take a quick break on the flip side. We're going to talk about MLB scheduling and we're going to look ahead to the red series. Uh, but first a word from our sponsors and we're back. Um, Al, you had a really great article on BCB today talking about the scheduling of games and maybe ways the Cubs could do it differently. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that conversation? Well, basically, the you know the Cubs moved up the starting time of two games already this year because of uh, impending weather. One time they didn't quite make it; they had a rain delay. 
But the second time they did get the game in before some storms hit later in the evening. And, you know, this kind of gave me the idea that maybe they should do that on a permanent basis. There's several teams have moved up their starting times by half an hour. A lot of teams are starting uh, games at 630 local time. In fact, the Cubs will be playing three of those games against the Reds this week that start at 640 Eastern time. And, you know, I, you know, I understand that for a lot of people, it's difficult with traffic and work and whatever to get to the ballpark for a six o'clock start or a 630 start. Flip side of that is that with a seven o'clock start and many nine inning games lasting three and a half hours, people are getting home at midnight. So, you know, which is worse on a, on a work or school night having to, you know, cut out of work early and get to a six o'clock start or getting home at midnight and having to get up early for work. I think the Cubs should try an earlier start, either 6.30 or even 6.05. And based on the poll, uh, which, of course, is not a scientific poll, in this article, you know, uh, 90% of the people said they should move it to either 6.35 or 6.05, and a full 50% says 6.05. Yeah, I am all for moving the games up a little bit. Um, Full disclosure, I am not a season ticket holder. I do not go to every game. I probably go to two or three games a homestand, depending on what I can find on StubHub or what tickets I already have. And I work a regular nine to five job in the loop. Um, I would be all for trying to adjust my schedule a little bit so that I, and I'm pretty sure I could deal with a 6.30 start time, even leaving work at my normal end time. Um, But it makes such a difference to me to get home before 11, 11.30 on a work night. That is a huge difference. And when games go long, even if I'm just sitting up watching on the couch so that I can write about it or talk about it the next day, I find that those games that go super late just really wreck my schedule for the entire week. Andy, what about you? Well, I wish I had the problem of talking about driving to and from games in Chicago. I wish I had that problem. My problem (laughs) is driving to and from games in St. Louis. Not equally as amazing of a problem. But St. Louis did move their... um, weekday games as they call it while school schools in on school days they moved their games to 6:45 and from what i understand it's getting rave reviews and from the games i've been to that have started at 6:45 i truly appreciate even starting earlier than 7:05 i know it's only 20 minutes but still it makes a difference and quite frankly you see a lot more of the crowd a lot longer through the game I can't tell you how many times we've taken the girls to a game, like whether it be like in September or even April, May, where we have to leave at the sixth inning because it's already too late and we need to be home. So it's nice that they do that. And I think for the majority of the time, and like you wrote about, if it's somebody that's not going to, you know, every game, they're just going to a few games this season. I think it makes more sense for them to make the exception and, you know, try to leave work early rather than have to worry about staying up late. I just, I love the idea and I wish more teams would jump on board. I had in the, in the last year, I had gone to San Francisco and bought tickets to some Giants games. And so I got a survey from the Giants uh, regarding game times. Of course, that didn't really matter to me, but um, a lot of uh, the Giants obviously surveyed their fans about starting times, and they have moved back the starting time of their weeknight games from 7.15 to 6.45. So it would not surprise me to see the Cubs send out a similar survey to to their fans, whether season ticket holders or just, you know, ordinary people who have just bought tickets to uh, one or two games a year to see what they think about night game starting times. All right. Well, that is a 3-0 from the people who are talking on this podcast. We will send out 
a poll on our Twitter at Cup of Cubby Blue this week so that you can have your voice heard. Let us know what you think about start times and what you think those ideal start times should be. Let us know if you like earlier games or if you like later games and what types of challenges you have getting to the ballpark. As Al already mentioned, for the Red Series, the Cubs games will be starting at 6.40 Eastern time, which means they'll be starting at 5.40 Central time here in Chicago. Let's talk about the Reds. They are in last place, but they are not playing like a last place team. This is a team that has a really good pitching staff. They actually have the second highest F war among pitchers, trailing only the Rays in Major League Baseball. And they have definitely been the victims of bad luck to some extent. Their run differential in the NL Central is a plus 30 right now. It is actually the second best run differential in the division. And their expected win loss should be 24-17. They literally should be the second place team right now if they were having some better luck. So what do y'all think about this this upcoming series with the Reds? Well, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of uh, tomorrow's uh, uh, On the Horizon series preview. Uh, here's a fact that might belie the Reds' uh, run differential. They are 10-7 and seven this year against teams currently under 500 and 8-16 and 16 against teams currently over 500. Mm. So, they're, so they're beating the bad teams and losing to the good teams, which is, you know, what – generally a last place team would wind up doing. They are leading the league in uh, fewest runs allowed as of now. Their pitching staff has been pretty good, which, but their offense hasn't scored that many runs, which is one of the reasons they've had problems winning. Uh, this is kind of the reverse from what Reds teams have been in recent years. Recent years, the Reds offense was great and their pitching staff was just terrible. So this will be an interesting test for the Reds pitching staff against a good Cubs offense. Well, and I think it's really interesting with their run differential so high for their record, they've been shut out six times this season. I mean, so if you think about that and you look at what runs they're scoring um, and against who, I mean, there's been some pretty high scoring games on their schedule thus far. So I think um, we might bring them down to earth a little bit more, the the Cubs pitching staff, but it's definitely interesting to see how their their offense is like again like a really high and a really low like they're getting shut out six times but when they score they score a lot so I think this will be a very telling series too especially with you know someone as dynamic as Puig in their lineup now that I I'm interested to see him in a Reds jersey against this Cubs pitching staff I am such a Puig fan, and I've got to say, having uh, Yasiel Puig and Joey Votto on the same team has already yielded some fantastic moments. So I am also excited to see what Puig is doing in a Reds uniform. Interesting um, thing about those six shutouts, they've been shut out three times by the Pirates, uh, once by Oakland, once by the Brewers, and once by the Mets. That was Noah Syndergaard. So there's really kind of no pattern to those. They've been shut out by uh, a couple of mediocre teams and uh, and one one really good team in the Brewers. So uh, you know the answer to that is who knows. Um, one one Puig moment I had to mention that I I saw on MLB today that I thought was kind of funny was um, Madison Bumgarner was kind of. Um, I loved this. <laughs> did you see this? This go is ahead, so great. Go, go. Okay, so Madison, Madison Bumgarner was kind of. Um, mocking Puig because he had well of course it's Puig he had quite the celebration after hitting a complete bomb off of him I don't know if it was yesterday it was at some point this weekend and he said yeah he's a quick student it only took him seven years to figure out how to hit that pitch (laughs) that is fantastic that is fantastic 
<laughs> the mad the mad bum Puig rivalry is epic. Like it is the stuff of legend in that Dodgers Giants rivalry, which you know is one of the great rivalries in sports behind the Cardinals and Cubs and Yankees and Red Sox. So um yeah, that was a great moment, I thought, from both Madison Bumgarner and Yasiel Puig. And I am hoping that Puig can keep those bombs to a minimum uh, over the next few days at least. Um, but I I agree, Puig is a fun player to watch. Uh, speaking of pitching, I want to return to pitching for one second. The matchups are going to be Tanner Roark versus Kyle Hendricks, Sonny Gray versus Yu Darvish, and Luis Castillo versus Jose Quintana. And I just, I want to flag something that people listening to this may not be aware of, which is that Luis Castillo is having an absolutely outstanding season so far. Um, if there is a matchup here that I'm worried about it is definitely that Jose Quintana, Luis Castillo matchup. Castillo is 4-1 with a 1.76 ERA so far this year for the Reds. Yeah, I and I'm looking at his strikeouts too. He's got 70 strikeouts on the year. I mean, this this dude doesn't really seem like he's uh he's much of a joke and that kind of scares me a little bit because we know that you know, this lineup when they start getting off balance that they, they will swing at a lot of stuff that is not strikes. So <laughs> I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they find their patience that day and hold on to it tightly because I think they're, they're going to need it with this guy. Otherwise they're going to, they're going to be sat down quite a bit that game. Al, you had mentioned wanting to talk a little bit more about you Darvish. The sunny gray, you Darvish matchup is very much a matchup of two pitchers who were outstanding a couple of years ago and have really had their ups and downs recently. What do you think of the Sunny Gray U Darvish matchup? Well, you know, like you said, these are two guys who had been good uh, a couple of years ago. Both had struggled now for a while. Uh, Sunny Gray is off to an okay but not great start uh, in the National League. U Darvish is, <laughs> I just don't know what to say about him anymore. Um, you know, I, I've had this thought that maybe they could put him in the bullpen and he can throw 98, 99 miles an hour because we know he can do that. And, you know, maybe he'd be more effective there. Uh, he, he just seems, and Joe Madden said this after uh, his um, last start, you know, Madden was kind of hinting that Darvish is thinking too much out there and he needs to just go out and trust his stuff and pitch. That, that's what, you know, Javi Baez told that to Jose Quintana when he was struggling. He just went out and said, you know, trust your stuff and let your defense make plays behind you. And I think that's been one of the big differences in um Quintana's pitching this year is that you know he doesn't try to strike everybody out uh, maybe that's what Darvish needs to do yeah I, I agree with that the uh the thing about you Darvish that is really you know both maddening and really interesting to watch is that you Darvish is unhittable right now absolutely unhittable he also cannot guarantee that his stuff is going to find the strike zone and so he's walking a lot of guys. He's striking out a lot of guys. He's got a lot of swing and miss stuff. It is, it's just kind of maddening to watch him walk and strike out basically the same number of guys. Yeah, I'm with Al on this one. There's not really much more I can say about him. It's kind of just one of those situations now where if he's going to do it, he's got to just go out there and do it and, and, you know, show us folks that have plenty of doubt left for him because, um, you know, I, it, you just never know, you know, it's like flip a coin. You don't know which Darvish you're getting on which day. And, um, his swing and miss stuff though, has just been silly. And I love that stuff. But again, like you said, we just, we're not quite sure 
you know, where it's going to land on what day. So I'd like to see some consistency. I guess that's probably where I'm going with that. And even if that means being consistently inconsistent, cool, you know, but at least we know what to expect. It just right now, it's you just you just don't know. And that's that's like you said, what makes us crazy because, you know, everybody else in our starting rotation has been so legit lately that, you know, you hate to see somebody like you, Darvish, be your weakest link. Yeah, I definitely hear that. Uh, We're running a little low on time here, so I'm just going to ask for one parting thought from each of you on what you're looking for in the Red Series. And what I'll be looking for is to see if some of these hard hit balls that Jason Hayward is mashing right now can finally drop. He's really been making some good contact and getting kind of unlucky over the past few games. I'd like to see him start to get a little bit luckier again. And I think if that happens, some good things will happen for the Cubs. What's one thing each of you are looking for with this Red Series? Uh, Great American Ballpark has always been a favorite place for Chris Bryant to hit. So I look for him to have a big series. Oh, that's right. That's where he had that two double three home run game, right? Exactly. Good stuff. Yeah. I like pretty much like you both said, I just would like to see them stay hot. You know, um, they need to beat the bad teams. You know, that's one thing that they've had issues with the past couple of seasons, not beating the bad teams, you know, playing down to somebody else's level. So I think they need to stay hot and just keep playing their kind of ball and, you know, the pitching staff coming out dominant and, and take the series. And speaking of bad teams, uh, the rest of the road trip, Washington Nationals, and I know you guys will talk about this on the next episode, they're they're just awful. I mean, they have two of the best starters in the game, but they're just not playing good ball, and the Cubs really should try and take advantage of that. I know. I feel really bad for Davey Martinez. I can't imagine that's going to end up well if the Nationals continue on with the type of baseball they are playing. It's been rough out in D.C., Um, but you are right. We are going to talk about that next time. In the meantime, we're going to leave you here today to get to enjoy the off day and get ready for the Cubs versus the Reds tomorrow night. Uh, Thank you, Andy and Al for joining us. And as always, we will have a who was the player of the Brewers series uh, poll up on our Twitter. So make sure that you find that and vote on that um, sometime in the next 24 hours. So thank you all again. And Andy and Al, thanks for joining. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for having me.